And we are back with another edition of the Champs Corner podcast featuring Mark Jennings following Alabama's 52-21 victory over Auburn at the Iron Bowl. I'm your host, Drew Champlin. Please search Champs Corner on iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, CastBox, and more. Share it with a friend. Uh, you don't want to miss the insight from the best in the business, Mark Jennings. And uh, let me introduce Mark to everybody. Mark, how you doing? Drew, I'm fantastic right now. I've got to be real honest with you. I'm, I'm excited to be on the podcast. I'm in the stands right now. Brian Denny, I'm on my cell phone. So if you can't hear me very well, I apologize. But I'm here. Just got done talking to my good friend Jason Isbell. I've been an inspiration to him and a lot of his work and and a lot of his songs about you know making it through and, and getting through a tough life. And I've I've been an inspiration to him. So I got to talk to him on the sideline a little bit. I'm in the stands right now. I don't know how much time I have. I think they're about to kick me out of the out of the stadium, Drew. But I'm doing great. How are you? It's a fantastic game for me to watch. Yeah, I'm doing really well. Did you get? Did you ask Jason Isbell if he'd write you a song or anything like that? You know, I have a relationship with Jason, and I don't feel comfortable asking him to write a specific song. But I know him well enough, and I know the impact I've had on his life. That I know that I've, I've, you know, I've made a difference uh, to him and his songwriting. So I don't feel the need to personally ask him uh, to write me a song personally about me. Uh, but he's a fantastic songwriter, talented guy, great singer, and, and I am I am proud of the fact that I I've known him for so long and I've been such an inspiration to him. Yeah, outstanding. Obviously, Alabama was just up seventeen to fourteen at halftime. Uh, but let's talk. We'll talk uh, game in a second. Let's talk about some stuff outside the game. This was your last Dippin' Dots game of the year. Obviously, Alabama's last home game. I know your business manager, Caden, that's K-A-A-Y-D-E-N, run, ran such a solid operation there. I got some dipping dots from him at the, I believe it was the Texas A&M game, but uh, how, how was that today? How, how did business go? I know we had a listener question from that from Gary Lloyd and a few others. Well, it surprisingly went very well. I got a couple of tweets. I specifically want to thank Nathan Hathaway for his tweet. Uh, it was fantastic. You know, We work really hard to make the dipping dip dots operation successful. And so I, I am glad when people find joy in, in my dipping dots that I provide to the people. So thank you very much, Nathan, for your tweet. You can probably find it on Twitter. I'm not a technological wizard. I can't find it myself. But you guys can probably figure it out. But dipping dots went really well today, even despite the fact that it's kind of cooler. We're in the, the last weeks of November. Uh, people aren't really searching for dipping dots like they were in the humid and hot days of August. But we did pretty well. And so I can't really complain about what's going on with Dippin' Dots right now, Drew. Outstanding. And uh, some big action in high school football on Friday night. I was in uh, Madison, Mississippi, which is a suburb of Jackson over the Thanksgiving holiday. So I was not in town to catch any high school football. Mark, uh, Thompson High School wins 31-21 to at 31-28 at Hoover. Talia Tungavailoa leads Thompson from down uh down 10 down i think down 11 late in the fourth quarter the alabama commit to his brother leads thompson to the 7a state championship i know you weren't there but i know you were watching the game because it seems like you had some comments and we were texting about it afterward did you end up going to reform to watch uh jamarian latham the recent alabama commit to play spring garden in the 1a quarterfinals i believe I did, Drew. I was in reform. I apologize for technical difficulty. I was in reform. I didn't want to risk my livelihood and my life at Hoover this week. 
But I was at Reform watching Delaria Matham play, and it that game lived up to its billing. You know, Pickens as Pickens County advanced would score thirteen to zero. But I I've been watching some of the film of Hoover and Thompson. It really lived up to the billing. I can't say that I'm surprised it was a close game. And Talia like Levada really showed out. I thought this week, uh, you know, you got a team they're down by eleven, I believe. With about five minutes left of the game, he leads them down two touchdown drives and comes out with a win. So I, I cannot be more impressed with Talia Lagan Nevada and and what he did uh, this week against Hoover. Against one of the best really high school defenses in the country in Hoover, and I'm impressed by them. And Thompson looks fantastic, and I, I'm really looking forward. You know, originally I picked Central Phoenix City to win the Seven A State Football Championship game. I might have to go back and reconsider that pick, considering how impressed I am with the way Thompson played on Friday night. But I, it was a fantastic night of high school football, Drew. Uh, did you get to watch any of the games? You know, I checked a little bit of it on the, uh, I think Facebook had a live stream of it. So I saw Talia, you know, he still makes those 10-step drops that you commented on earlier in the season. But man, uh, under pressure, he's just as cool as can be. And you know, I know you were in Pickens County, and I think I'm guessing you were watching the game uh, somehow. Uh, you know, maybe on somebody's stream if they have uh, cell service. Yeah, no, they have internet in Pickens County. I know it's hard for you, you see dwellers to believe, but we actually have internet in in all across the state, really. Yeah, uh, so I guess you had a chance to watch it during the game on your phone, maybe. Yeah, that's how I was watching it, Drew, and I went back and watched the film when I got home. Uh, and watched it when I woke up this morning. That's how it happens. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, did you get wet? It was raining. It looked like it was raining pretty hard in Hoover. How was it over in uh, Reform? It, w- it wasn't raining as hard in Reform. Uh, first off, I'll say how glad I am that you learned to pronounce the name of the city correctly. Uh, in Pickens County, the name was Reform, not Reform, as you decided to call it last week. But it was raining a little bit in Reform. It wasn't as bad as it was in Hoover. Hoover looked like it was hailing, and I think that really affected the play of, of, of the teams in Hoover. But it was it was raining a little bit in, in Reform, but not as much as it was in Hoover. Yeah, did you talk to anybody who went to the game at Hoover? I'm hearing the crowd wasn't quite what it should have been for a 7A semifinal. I haven't talked to anyone specifically about the crowd at Hoover, but I could tell watching on television and watching on my stream that it, it wasn't what a 7A semifinal would look like. And to be honest with you, Drew, I'm kind of glad that not a lot of people went to the game. Hoover, as we've talked about before, is a very dangerous area. I'm not going to get into what happened this week in Hoover, but I'm glad that people decided to stay away. Uh, it, it would be disappointing to me to see so many lives being put at risk by going to the game. And my my thoughts and prayers and, and my deepest sympathy were to the people who were attending the game at Hoover Friday night uh, because they're, all their lives were at risk. So I'm glad that everything worked out okay at Hoover Thompson and, and everyone seemed to be kind of safe out there. Uh, but yeah, that I, I am, uh, prayers, prayers sent and prayers have been answered that everyone turned out to be safe at the Hoover Thompson game. Absolutely. Shifting gears into college football, Alabama 52, Auburn 21, Alabama number one in the country, 12 and 0 going to the SEC championship game against Georgia next week. And this was a game where it was 17 to 14 at halftime. You know, Auburn 
hit a couple of gimmick touchdown passes as they are apt to do against better teams. They did block a punt that set up a short field and, and a gimmick touchdown. But, uh, you know, Tua Tungavailoa really just showed how, how incredible a player he is through five touchdown passes, 25 of 32 for 324. Also had a rushing touchdown early in the game, and he spread out the touchdowns. You know, he hit uh, Henry Ruggs the second for two of them, Josh Jacobs, Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, and then Jalen Waddle caught a 53-yard touchdown pass on on Jalen Hurts' first pass, or actually I think it was his only pass of the game. So what from what you could tell and how advanced you are at seeing this, this stuff as it happens, um, First off, I assume you were actually able to watch the game. I know you got to look at the recruits, but you were actually able to watch the game, right? I was, Drew. I was pretty focused on the recruits and looking at them watching around. You know how much I care about the eye test and and, and monitoring their physical development and how they walk around the, the sidelines. But I was able to watch the game for a little bit. All right. Well, so what happened? What adjustments do you think Alabama made at halftime to uh, turn this from a close game where people were smelling up upset to, to such the blowout that it was. Well, i got to be honest with you, Drew. I don't think it was a huge change. I think Alabama has finally got their, excuse my language, Drew, got their stuff together and, and kind of figured out what Auburn was doing. You know, Coach Malzahn realized, I think, that he had an inferior team. So he ran a bunch of what I call gimmick plays to get Auburn some points on the board. And that's what he did in the first half. You know, you look at it, you know, the first drive Auburn scored on the touchdown. Uh, they ran the ball real well, and honestly, I think they sh- probably should have stuck with that a little bit. They ran the ball real well, scored a touchdown. The second touchdown, they got the ball deep in Alabama territory, ran a little trick play, and got a touchdown. But at the end of the day, against uh, the offense that Alabama puts up, you know th- that's not going to be enough to win the game. And I think that's what ended up happening to Auburn is they weren't able to consistently move the ball and get enough stops on defense for them to win. So. Honestly, this this game played out exactly like I thought it would. Uh, Alabama scored a bunch of points on offense. Auburn came out with a bunch of gimmick plays and, and put some points on the board. But I don't know how anyone, anyone can look at this game and be really surprised by the outcome. Yeah, so looking at what Tua Tungavailoa accomplished, do you think, you know, I, I hear a lot of people from, you know, guys who we, we respect in the media like Danny Cannell and Tim Brando, they're just all about some Kyler Murray and what he's able to do against those Big 12 defenses. But do you think this wrapped up the Heisman Trophy for Tua? Well, Drew, you know, I'm not a member of the liberal media. I can't really speak to what the liberal voters of the Heisman are going are gonna to think after this game. You know, Kyler Murray played great. Uh, I think he's a fantastic player. You know, he doesn't go against the best defenses, but, you know, he does what he's supposed to do against the best defenses. He put up 59 points this week. Uh, against West Virginia on the road in a, in a tough atmosphere in Morgantown. I thought he was really impressive. I'm really disappointed in Mackenzie Milton's industry, uh, injury Excuse me, at UCF. Honestly, I thought Mackenzie Milton was the clear-cut best player in college football until, until his injury. Uh, I look forward to seeing what the Heisman voters are going to do with him missing uh, their championship game next week. But I thought Mackenzie Milton was the best player in college football until he got hurt. So I'm looking forward to see how the voters adjust to that. Frankly, if I was a if I were a Heisman voter, I'd put McKenzie Milton number one, regardless of his injury. But you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the exact rules for the voting for the Heisman. I don't know the definitions they want you to adhere to. 
and I'm looking forward to see how that works out. But if I had a Heisman, but I vote Mackenzie Milton number one. Uh, I think that uh, you look at UCF, you look at the team they have around him. I think it's very difficult to say that Mackenzie Milton is not the best football player in the country. And, and I'm looking forward to see what happens. I'll leave it at that, Drew. Yeah. So you, when you're a Heisman voter, and when I when I used to be in the liberal media, I got to vote on the Heisman. I think for maybe four seasons. I think it was twenty. 13, it may have been 2012 through 2016, uh, something like that. I uh, was, was blessed to be able to do that. You get to vote. You, you rank your top three. Would you have uh, Tua number two or Kyler Murray number two? Or, or would you have somebody else who we're not even talking about in those two and three spots? I think if you swapped McKenzie Milton and Tua Ligavitata this season, I'm pretty confident in saying Alabama would still be undefeated. I'm not so certain that UCF would still be undefeated if you swapped those two players. That's what I'm saying, Drew. Does that make sense to you, Drew? Yeah, you think if Tua Tungavaloa was playing quarterback for UCF, they they would not be undefeated. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying I'm not sure. Okay. And I don't know. And I'm not an expert, Drew. I don't follow the college game like, you know, these very intelligent people that that, that cover college football for a living do. I'm not, I'm not, you know, an expert in those things, but I've I've watched enough film and I've broken up, I've broken down enough film to know that if if McKenzie Milton was the quarterback at Alabama, they'd still be undefeated, and if Tua Tagovailoa was the head was the quarterback at UCF, I'm not so sure, and that's the point I'm trying to make, George. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a fair point. I completely understand what you're trying to say, and it's really. Disappointing to hear about his injury. Hopefully he recovers nicely in his back next season. So back to the Alabama game, the the one thing I worried about once the game got out of hand was really in the second half in general because Alabama could have lost this game, and if they beat Georgia next week, they're in the playoffs. So, uh, But uh, they did lose Jared Maiden uh, to a targeting call. He, he helmeted, helmeted Ryan Davis. It was a very legit targeting call. It was uh, – Pretty easy to make, I believe, and so he. You know, I think he's their dime defensive back, so he's probably about their fourth or fifth DB. They put in Keaton Anderson to replace him, so um, you know I'm not sure how much they would need him against Georgia. I guess it just depends on how many receivers Georgia throws out there. Maybe it's maybe Georgia now sees something that they can attack. But how how does this loss, you know, with Jared Maiden being suspended for the first half of the game next week, how does that affect uh, the SEC championship game? Well, you know, it's a loss. You know, whenever you lose a guy on defense, it's going to hurt your team. But in terms of what Georgia's going to want to try to do on offense and the way Alabama plays defense, I think that, you know, if you ask before the game, what player would you want to lose? If you had to lose one player for the next game due to targeting or due to an eligibility concern, what player would it be? Coach Saban probably would have had Jared Maiden near the top. It's important because of the things Alvin wants to do, but I don't think it's a huge loss. You know, Nick Saban knows Jim Chaney very well, the offense coordinator of Georgia. He knows what Jim Chaney wants to do offensively, and I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, to be real honest with you. You know, uh, there are certain defensive sets that Alvin wants to play, and, and they like playing in certain situations, and that would mean that Keaton Anderson will be out there. And I like Keaton Anderson a lot as a football player, but I have I fully expect that with a week to prepare, 
Uh, Coach Saban's going to be able to develop situations, develop packages so Keaton Anderson isn't out there, if that makes sense. So uh, while this is a loss for one half, I'm not sure it's a, it's a big deal that you and the other members of liberal media make it out to be. All right. And just a few plays later, Shaheem Carter was called for uh, targeting roughing the passer. I think the roughing the passer still stood, but it, ha- it had shades of when LSU's Devin White got ejected late in the first half or the second half of the Mississippi State game. But a few seconds later, they come back and they review it, and uh, Shaheem Carter gets to stay in the game. There is no targeting ejection. So what, what did you see here that uh, kept Shaheem Carter in the game? Well, I thought it was a pretty clean hit. Might be a little late after the whistle. Uh, but, it, you know, he led with his hands. There's no help to helmet contact. And as soon as the hit happened, I texted Greg Sankey, uh, my good friend, Mr. Sankey, and said, you know, Mr. Sankey, you can't be serious with this call. Uh, there's no helmet to helmet contact. He led with his hands. And Mr. Sankey said, don't worry, it's under control. We got it taken care of. So as soon as that happened, I knew that, that targeting call is going to be overturned. So, uh, honestly, I, it, it's a tough rule. You know, I understand why it's in place. They want to protect the players. But you have officials on the field who are calling fouls that they don't see. You know, you the official who called, who made that call did not see the targeting curve. I know because it didn't happen. And I watched it on the big screen on replay. And, and that's, that, that's what's worrisome to me is the fact that we have officials on the field who are calling things that they don't see. You know, I'm not a, I'm not an officiating expert, but it seems to me if I was an official, if I was going to throw a flag, the first thing I would make sure is that there was a, it was a foul that actually occurred before I, threw, before I threw my flag. And the fact that we have SD officials throwing flags on fouls that they did not see occur, that's frustrating to me. And I'm going to text Mr. Sankey later next week and, and see how we can get that fixed and get officials in, uh, in the game who are going to call fouls only that they see and not make up stuff that they imagine, which is what happened with this foul. Yeah, that was very disappointing to see. I thought the same thing as well watching on TV. Isaiah Bugs, Alabama's starting defensive end, has had a really phenomenal senior season. There was a lot of people worried when he got cut block. It looked uh on a 75-yard touchdown run by Auburn's Sean Shivers that was called back because of a hold. And I'm sure that hold was something you could spot right away. But uh, what did you think about the block on Isaiah Bugs? I was pretty disappointed about it. Did you think it was legit? Well, you know, Drew, I've been breaking down film forever, and the hold by, the, you know, the hold by Chandler Cox was incredibly obvious. I think anyone in the stadium saw it, and so... Uh, I couldn't imagine thinking that that's a foul that shouldn't be brought back or expressing dismay that's a foul that shouldn't be dropped, brought back. And I understand that Coach Malzahn wants to keep, wants to get his team fired up, but at the end of the day, it's a pretty obvious foul to anyone with, you know, multiple brain cells. They can figure out that's a foul. So, you know, uh, Coach Malzahn, whatever he wants to do, but he really looks like an idiot out there when he complains about real obvious foul calls. The Isaiah, but the block on Isaiah Bugs, you know, I gotta be honest with you, Drew. You know, I've been I've been breaking down the Auburn film for a long time, and this is something that they just do. You know, you look at Ryan Pugh from ten years ago, the way that he played, the cheap low blocks after the play, uh, and you look at the way Auburn played today with the cheap low blocks, you know, on the backside of the play. That's not really surprising to me in the way that Auburn plays the game and approaches the game. 
Uh, Frank Lamb, real disappointed. I thought Gus Malzahn was a man of character. Apparently, I was wrong uh, in the way that he coached this team. And I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that, Drew, before I get real fired up about it. But I was real disappointed about that cut block on Isaiah Bugs. Yeah, I thought it was pretty dirty as well. And, you know, uh, I think the hit again from Jared Maiden against uh, Ryan Davis was uh, something that could have been avoided, it seems like. I had a few... I made a silly tweet uh, that said that the worst thing that could have happened for Alabama was uh, losing a losing a player to a targeting ejection in the second half of a meaningless game, and it was it was a little out of taste, I think, in my opinion. I should have done better than that. Did have a few Auburn fans tweet at me, uh, Elliot Hensel, that's at Russian DB twenty one. Go to hell, dude. Bammer will always ete Bammer always hated your ass. Uh, he, he quotes Proverbs thirty thirty in his Twitter profile. He blocked me after that. That was kind of weird. Some guy named Bryce Bonner who calls himself Babs. I didn't know a straight man would call himself Babs, but he, uh, he, he just quote tweeted me. And then, so we've already got a deleted tweet from the Catman too. He's talking about, uh, Hunter L. Johnson who deleted his tweet and apologized. I didn't know such thing. And then a guy named Corey Hodge at it's Hodge quote tweets me and says, you are also a piece of shit. So, you know, this is, it seems like uh, the Auburn fans who I'm friends with on Facebook, uh, they talk about how great of a family they are and, and their Christian values. But I, I didn't see uh, too much Christian stuff in these tweets, Mark. And maybe I asked for it, maybe I deserved it. But what's going on here? Well, Drew, uh, you know, but the people who put Bible verses in their profile, they'll be the first ones to tell you to go, quote, F off or to, quote, F yourself. They're the first ones, Drew. And it's not, I wish I could say, something positive about Auburn at this point, the Auburn family, quote-unquote, whatever that means. Uh, but it's not surprising at this. You know, Drew, it's like whenever you see a woman in her 30s and, uh, you know, she's not middle-aged, but she's not the young uh, woman she used to be, and she has a Bible verse in her profile, you know there's a 90% chance that that woman has broken up marriage. It's not real different for people who you know, put Bible verses in their profile and talk about the Auburn family. Uh, it's it's not a real, it's not a huge difference. It's basically the same thing. So, uh, you know, Drew, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for you that you had to have that experience. But honestly, uh, for someone who is experienced as I have, as I am, uh, I can't say that's real surprising. So I apologize to you, and I'm sorry you had to go through that. But uh, frankly, that that's really... Uh, more the norm at this point for that to happen yeah and i should apologize for tweeting that and thinking about a game next week instead of a player's safety but it looks like ryan davis was able to get up and walk off the field and hopefully he'll be able to play in the ball game he's had a tremendous career and that's part of twitter i didn't want to i don't like to delete tweets because you know you can always screenshot some stuff as i did when this one guy tweeted at me that he always hated my uh quote behind and uh, and then proceeded to block me and anybody else who argued with him. But uh, that's neither here nor there. So, uh, Mark, uh, we asked for some Twitter questions real quick as we planned this late in the late in the Alabama versus Auburn game. Tell everybody how they can uh, how they can find you on social media and through email. Drew, you know I always love getting our questions from our listeners and from social media. If you want to find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at MarkJennings55. That's one word, at MarkJennings55. If you want to find me on email, my email, <coughs> excuse me, Drew, uh, they're trying to kick me out of the stadium. I'll go real fast. 
My email address is at, excuse me, I'm sorry, markbreaksdownfilm at AOL.com. That's one word, markbreaksdownfilm at AOL.com. Either there or Twitter are fantastic ways to contact me. Yeah. Hey, uh, and, and this kind of goes back to a question that was asked you last week about any of the, the pregame stuff that you couldn't elaborate on. But Bama Pro Updates, he says, Mark, not a question but a comment. I thought your recommendation to use the helicopters to dry the field, obviously since we had so much rain over overnight did last night, was pure brilliance. Your weather forecasting models have now surpassed span. So uh, obviously Bama Pro Updates, he says, it's not a question but a comment, but would you like to ad- address that? Well, sure. You know, I developed my weather model so I can properly uh, predict what's going to happen to the weather for the course and all the tournaments that we have there. And, and you know, I, I remember specifically we had a, a ladies' thirty-six hole uh, tournament uh, a few a few months ago, and we had some rain beforehand, and I had to figure out how to get it fixed. So I called in the helicopters, and I. I relayed that information to Mr. Byrne, and he was—he thought it was a good idea, and that's why I couldn't talk about it much last week. But he used that idea and he got the field dry the same way I drive the golf course for our ladies' 36-hole tournament. You know, over 36 holes, the winning—the winning score was plus 51. So, congratulate—I I can't mention her name here, but congratulations to the winner of the tournament. And, and looks like Mr. Byrne had the same success that I had with my golf course, and he had the same success in the football field. Yeah, absolutely. Matthew Pate at, at Matthew CP8 asks, will the liberal media finally accept that Tua is the best player in the country? Well, you know, I, I don't know. You know, you say he's a li- liberal media in that way. Frankly, I'm not ready to predict who the best player in the country is. Frankly, I thought it was Mackenzie Milton before he, uh, before he had his injury uh, this week. Uh, you know, I understand that people want to create drama and they want to really push the envelope and want to make sure that people tune in to the Heisman show. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I, I, you know, the liberal media, they do what they do. Asking me to understand what the liberal media does is not something I'm really an expert in. I can't really comment on that. But, uh, you know, I thought Tua looked really impressive today. I thought he was the best player on the field for sure. I'm going to have to go back and break down film this weekend to really analyze and make that uh, comparison or make that uh, certified statement as who the best player in the country is. All right. I want to shout out a few questions that we already addressed earlier in the podcast just to say thanks. Gary A. Lloyd asked about your dip and dot sales, and we addressed that. Uh, We hear from Cameron uh, Luke Ratliff. He says, Mark, this is more of a favor than a podcast question, but – can you please put in a good word for the students on your weekly meeting with Mr. Byrne regarding Dixieland Delight? Now, I was not at the game tonight. You were. Uh, we did talk on this podcast not too long ago about how you helped bring the song back. I believe it was before the Missouri game. I was at that game. But uh, they, you know, the administration didn't want students to yell, um, you know, F blank, blank, blank Auburn. And it, it seems like they may have done that tonight. So what, what were you hearing when they played Dixieland Delight, Mark, and um, is there anything you can do to make sure it stays around for the 2019 season going forward? Well, I have no clue what happened tonight at Dixieland Delight. I was busy taking notes on what was happening on the field. Uh, but, you know, as always, every week when I talk to Mr. Byrne, I'm going to try to make sure to do what's best by the fans and do what they want. And, 
and I'd love to give him to you know give him the opportunity and tell him my feelings about you know he respects my opinion and uh, he really listens to me and I really uh, if the students want Dixieland light black I'd be I'd be love to I would love to uh, try to keep that going. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, now that Dippin' Dots is, is is out of Bryant Denny for a while, my weekly conversations with him aren't going to start again until the, the spring. Uh, but if need be, I would love to have a conversation with him uh, before Christmas about what we can do to keep Dixie Land Delight going. So thank you at Fluffopotamus88. I appreciate your question. and I'm going to do whatever I can to keep it going. So thank you for being a loyal listener and and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you know how that goes. So thank you very much, Cameron. All right, uh, Hunter Letson, just a shout out about the question. He's a loyal listener and supporter. He asked if who Tua had a Heisman moment tonight. We briefly touched on that earlier, and uh, we'll move along to TD. This is at TD four four five five four four. Mark, we saw Tua tie the single game touchdown pass record today. Can you inform younger listeners like myself what Gary Hollingsworth's five-touchdown day looked like back in 1989? Can you get your film notes back out for that one? We love to get questions like this, so thanks, TD. Well, you know, I, you're talking about 30 years ago, but I remember his, his five-touchdown day. It was against Ole Miss. I believe the game was in Jackson, if I don't recall correctly. Uh, Alabama fell down twenty-one to zero. Ended up winning the game sixty-two to twenty-seven. Scored sixty-two one-action points uh, against Ole Miss. But Gary Hollingsworth, talking about a guy who didn't have the strongest arm and and wasn't the most athletic guy, but when it come down to making plays on the field, he was always the guy that was going to make them. And I wasn't surprised at all. You know, recommended to my good friend Homer Smith. Homer Smith pulled some strings to get him a walk-on offer to come play at Alabama. Came out of Hamilton High School. Not a whole lot of people after him out of Hamilton High School in the late 80s. Uh, but I'm not surprised about the success that Gary Hollingsworth had. He had a fantastic career under Homer Smith. And Homer Smith, my good friend, you know, rest in peace, Mr. Smith. I love that man. Uh, he did a lot for me in my career, and I did a lot for him in his career uh, back in the way back when when – uh, Homer Smith is an army, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Gary Hollingsworth had a fantastic career at Alabama, had a fantastic career in 1989. He was putting up a lot of yards and touchdowns back in 1989 when people just weren't doing that. We didn't have the spread out offense and the RPOs that we see today, but Gary Hollingsworth could put up his yards, and as soon as I saw him play at Hamilton High School, uh, I, I knew that he. But when he was put in the right system, he can make a lot of plays on offense and put a lot of points and yards on the board. And he got under Homer Smith's tutelage, and that's exactly what happened. So uh, it was a fantastic day for Alabama back in that day in Jackson, I believe. Uh, you know, I know Alabama fans were real thrilled when they got down twenty-one nothing in that game. But uh, you know, Homer Smith is a fantastic offensive mind. You don't have to worry about him coming down from three touchdowns or any of his offense ever coming down from three touchdowns. So. I can't say I'm surprised. It was a fantastic day for Gary Hollingsworth. You know, Homer Smith, uh, you know, he wrote the book on the two-minute offense. You know, the the book he wrote on the two-minute offense, the, the rules have changed. It doesn't perfectly apply today, but the principles are still the same. So if you're a young coach out there uh, or if you're a young person who's trying to get into film, the, the business of breaking down film like myself and you want to see how quarterbacks react in the two-minute drill, uh, there's not a better book out there than Homer Smith's two-minute drill book, and 
And I love that man. I miss him every day. And I mean, I don't mean to get all sentimental, Drew, and I apologize, but uh, it's your podcast, and I'm just a guest, so I'm going to stop right there. I'm so sorry. Yeah, we hear from three more listeners and got one late good one that I thought we would add at the end, and you can see that. But uh, first, let's get to Paul T. Graham. Paul asks, uh, he's got a couple of questions. First, can you preview the Army-Navy game and tell us how Navy could possibly win? Well, it could be real difficult. You know, Jeff Monken is really a superior head coach to Ken Nalpalalov, and, and Jeff Monken really knows what he's doing out there, and I think he really has that program headed in the right direction. You know, Ken Nalpalalov had really the, the, the monopoly on athletes who can play the triple option, but Jeff, my, my good friend, Coach Jeff Monk, has come in and really uh, taken that corner over, if you will. So I think it's real difficult for Navy to win that game. I think there's some, uh, I, you know, I think they're having inferior coaching staff and they have some inferior athletes. So I think Army's going to win that game, not exactly walking away because you never win a game walking away with two teams running the triple option, but uh, I think they're going to win pretty handily. All right. And Paul also asks, what are you hearing from the Bugs family about Isaiah Bugs playing next week against Georgia? Well, I can't tell you what I heard from the Bugs family. That's private information, but I can tell you what I heard from the Alabama medical staff. Uh, he has a hyperextended knee. He'll be limited at practice, uh, but will play next week. Uh, he's not going to uh, really put a whole bunch of pressure on it this week. Uh, he'll be fine. Uh, his, I thought his backup, up, his backup with Brian Leray looked really good out there. So Alabama has like, doesn't have a lot of concern. You know, God bless there weren't any ligament tears for Isaiah Bugs, and he's going to be back next week and not going to miss any time. All right. Uh, Kay Dice asks, can you give a comp for Nathan Pickering? That's the defensive end out of Mississippi. And uh, he may or may not have been at the game today. I'm not sure if you saw him or not. But uh, what are the chances of Alabama flipping him from uh, Mississippi State? Well, Nathan Pickering is a six foot four, two hundred eighty five pound, powerful edge rusher. Uh, frankly, I think he stays in Mississippi State. They've been on him since the beginning. And you know, we talked about before how difficult it is to get players out of the state of Mississippi uh, and get them to go to school outside the state of Mississippi. Uh, the defensive coaches really like him. I think he's a fantastic player. When I watched him play, he reminds me a lot of another guy who made the Pro Bowl a few times, played at, at a school that's now currently in the ACC, used to be in the Big East, and used to be an independent. A guy out of, out of you know northeast Arkansas, of all places, a guy by the name of Cortez Kennedy. Do you remember Cortez Kennedy, Drew? <clears throat> yeah, I believe he was a really good player for the Seattle Seahawks uh, for a lot of his NFL career. If that's the same Cortez Kennedy I'm thinking about. Same Cortez Kennedy out of Wilson, Arkansas, played at Rivercrest High School, got recruited out of the state of Arkansas, a real recruiting loss uh, for the University of Arkansas, went down to uh, Miami, uh, had a fantastic career there, went on to make a bunch of Pro Bowls and, and, and made a lot of money. Uh, recently passed away, RIP to my good friend Cortez Kennedy, but when I watch Nathan Nathan Pickering play, he reminds me a lot of Cortez Kennedy, Drew. All right. And uh, <clears throat> we hear from Drew Smalley to close out the podcast. And uh, he is going to Atlanta for the SEC championship game. And he asked, can you comment on the safety of Atlanta, especially the east side of town around the Dome? And he's assuming it's safer than parts of town like Cobb County around SunTrust Park, which remind him of Hoover. Well, I'm not an expert in Atlanta crime, 
are, where the safe places in Atlanta are. I can only comment about Hoover. So when I, when you're talking about Hoover and the safety there, you know, and how dangerous it is, I'm reminded of, uh, you know, places like Watts. I'm reminded of Fallujah. Uh, places that are real dangerous and you wouldn't want to find yourself. So I'd imagine that anywhere outside of Hoover, if the SC Championship game is being played in Hoover, uh, I'd have a lot of comments on it. But frankly, it's being played outside of Hoover in Atlanta. And compared to Hoover, Atlanta seems like a real safe area, uh, a real utopia, if you will. Uh, and so I think you'll be fine anywhere in Atlanta. You know, if you can, if you can survive, you know, walking through Hoover or going through uh, any of the parts of Hoover going to a Hoover High School football game, if you feel comfortable there, you'll be fine in, in anywhere in Atlanta, really. All right, that's a great question, uh, Drew, and I can't wait to talk about uh, following the SEC Championship game sometime in a week or so. But Mark uh, wraps up a really great podcast. I know you're uh, busy at the Alabama-Auburn game following that up. Hopefully they haven't kicked you out of the stadium yet. Um but I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and break down some big games. Yeah, I got a security guard trying to wave me away, Drew. I got to go. It was a great podcast. I'll talk to you again soon. All right. You can subscribe to the Champs Corner Podcast, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Follow at Drew Champlin at Mark Jennings 55, and we will talk to you guys soon.